It is chilly out. Fortunately, you've just arrived at your favorite cafe, and they've already got your regular order piping hot and waiting just for you. That's right, a nice warm mug of... The wrong station Patreon. With a sprinkle of cinnamon. Delicious. And those maggots at the bottom are just an added little treat. Click the link in the description and sign up for a seven-day free trial today. We know you already like the taste. You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. Eleven Brumaire, Year Two. In the name of the Supreme Being and of its angels, reason, and virtue, I bid you greetings from the Vendée. Filled with Republican spirit, our journey from the capital was swift, and we arrived in this rebellious department after fewer days than might have been expected. While I am footsore and have already worn through one pair of boots, my revolutionary zeal is undimmed, and I count myself a happy man for the opportunity to give my all in defense of liberty and the people. Never worry, brother. Not even for a moment that I forget the torment and indignity suffered by our parents under that petty tyrant who called himself Seigneur. My hatred of him and of the Second Estate shall last as long as time itself. The war here, they say, has only recently begun to go well, thanks to the Levee en masse and the Royalist defeat at Cholet. With our arrival, I think we cannot help but wipe out this rebellion, and soon. With luck, I shall be fighting alongside you against the Austrians by early niveaus. Our column, I am told, is to pivot north, into the hills and forests south of Brittany. It is a territory firmly under the boot heels of those still calling themselves aristocrats, and the people there remain under the thrall of lying Catholic priests. In such a dark land, it may be difficult to send the letters I write you, brother. Nevertheless, I shall send word as I can, and we shall soon bring reason's light to even the darkest woods. Long live France. Long live the Revolution. Your brother... Jacques Louis Moron. 19 Brumaire, Year 2. In the name of the Supreme Being, greetings from... Somewhere, north of Nantes. Ten days, twelve days since I've written you? This far from Paris, time seems to move differently. I swear, even the lieutenant's wristwatch seems to tick out the seconds at an inconsistent pace. No wonder, then, that the people here are still stuck in the Middle Ages... I have had no word from you, brother, but I assume by now you will have single-handedly taken Flanders. Please give my regards to Messrs. Carnot and Jordan, as I assume you are now sharing the General's table. I would say I envy you the excitement of your assignment, but there has been no shortage of excitement here, if you consider a series of desperate, nasty skirmishes to be excitement. 
In truth, the Vandanes have not welcomed their liberation from aristocratic tyranny. Every inch of soil we have gained from the royalists in the last... ten, twelve days, we have gained at the cost of revolutionary blood. For what reason? The peasants have more in common, surely, with us than with the Blue Bloods and the Cullian Jesuits who rule them. And yet they fight us with a fervor almost as great as that with which we fight them. Perhaps it is the rumors out of Nantes that drive them into such frenzy. There it is said that the representative on mission has been conducting Republican baptisms, which is to say, chaining people together and then flinging them into the Loire to drown. Obviously, such rumors are preposterous and likely concocted by the British. And yet I sometimes worry our beloved Jacobins have had a tendency toward sanguine behavior that makes rumors like these ones easier to believe. We are better than the high-born scum we have come to replace. Surely, then, it is our responsibility to behave with less violence. And yet, the brutality of the Vondeans provides scarce opportunity to rise above. The villagers come by night to cut our throats, and so we must come by day with the justice of the firing squad. We came offering the silk glove of liberty, but they have bitten it, and now needs must have their teeth shattered by the brass fist beneath. Long live the revolution. Your brother, Jacquis Louis. Three Frimaire, year two. Greetings from, I believe, the Boss Britannia. It has been an eventful week since I last wrote you, brother. The Royalist army is on the brink of dissolution, after desperate maneuvers in which they marched north, trying to gain British aid by capturing Granvay on the Channel. Our unit was involved in a running fight. Finally, something resembling an actual battle. These endless skirmishes have worn my spirit down, brother. And though the Republicans overall have come out ahead, we were badly mauled, and our retreat has left us separated from the army of the coast of La Roche in hostile territory. During our escape, the lieutenant swallowed a musket ball and, gruesomely, lived to tell of it for several hours. Although it is horrible to see any man in such pain, I am, in truth, not completely heartbroken by his death. The good lieutenant, for all his enlightenment sympathies, was a member of the old sword nobility. Though he was a capable officer, I cannot help but think the world is made better by the passing of such men. In isolation from army command, I have inherited his title and responsibilities, and, I must say, the position suits me well. The men like and respect me, they follow my orders without question, as is fitting. And is it embarrassing to admit I do not hate to wear a bit of gold braid? I think you would agree it suits my complexion very much. I have also inherited the lieutenant's gold pocket watch. I assume it was damaged in the fight, for, as we have begun our march into these deep woods which now surround me, it has altogether ceased to tick. The lieutenant is dead. Long live the lieutenant. Your brother, Jacquis Louis, acting lieutenant. Year two. Premier the... 28th? Greetings! From God knows where. The two days since I became lieutenant have been almost unbelievably eventful. An ambush by royalist forces obliged us to make a fighting retreat up into rough country. I say royalist, but it is difficult to tell, this far from the front, who it is exactly we are fighting. At its height, the army of the Vendée barely wore shoes, let alone uniforms. Now that their uprising has collapsed back into petty insurgency, it seems absurd to call them by the same name as those émigré nobles who cool their well-shod heels in London. These people do not care for the crown of citizen Louis Capet, they do not weep for the petty, severed head of Marie Antoinette. They do not know the new names of the months. 
I sometimes think life has been unchanged here for so long that they do not know the Gregorian calendar, let alone the revolutionary one. Why, then, do they fight us? I think because we are an army, and it has been in the nature of these people to struggle against armies since the time of Julius Caesar. Two days. Can it only have been two days? I have barely slept, but it seems we have traveled enough hills and mountainsides, forded enough black rivers, and fought enough desperate engagements to account for weeks of travel, for half a lifetime. The rebels here do not fight us with muskets, but with billhooks, rusted shooting pieces from the last century, and sometimes bows and arrows. Last night I shot a man dead who was wearing a breastplate that might have dated back to the Hundred Years' War. We've had to be very harsh with these rebels, and as the commander here it has been my responsibility to issue the orders. I take no joy in this, but the men respect resolve. So far from home and from pay, I worry that if my resolve weakens, the men will desert, our cause will have failed, and all my hopes will be dashed. And so we push on. We shall head for the sea, once we are out of these godforsaken woods. Yes, godforsaken. We do not speak the name of the supreme being this far from Paris. We may find ourselves in a land that is recognizably modern France again. Your brother, Lieutenant J. Louis Moreau. This episode of The Wrong Station is brought to you in partnership with Woebegone. Woebegone is the story of Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible, and an exploration of what it means to seek, to maintain, and to use power. For fans of eccentric, single-person narrated audio dramas like the Magnus Archives, with a queer perspective and lens, new episodes can be listened to every Wednesday, each with a brand new, all-original soundtrack. You can find Woebegone, spelled woe.begone, wherever you listen to your podcasts, or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. And thank you for supporting both shows. Year two, month of Nivos. Yes, I'm sure of it. That must be Nivos. Greetings, brother. After, I'm saddened to say, much regrettable but necessary torture, a captured royalist told me we were in the forest of Brecalayon, a location I can find on none of our maps. I believe Brecalayon must be some barbaric local nickname for a location that would be immediately recognizable if it were rendered in honest French. Alas, the prisoner choked on his teeth before he could be convinced to speak our tongue. Nevertheless, greetings from Brecalayon. Despite the constant damp, the forest is quite beautiful to see. Constant fogs shift and blow throwing rainbows in the soft light, and though it is now midwinter, the leaves are emerald green and brilliant gold. Sometimes in the woods, you hear the most beautiful singing, though the men who go off in pursuit of it do not often return. I have had to be strict with those who try, but the men forgive me, for I provide them with victory. Just last night, I led an ambush against a force of locals who were processing through the woods in strange robes and masks whose color I cannot quite remember, we destroyed them utterly, and from them seized a great trove of supplies which they had intended to offer at the altar of a local saint. Forgive me, brother. As a boy, I paid little attention during catechism. Which saint was it again, who wore the antlers of a deer and had owl's eyes? Forget the question. It matters not. After the skirmish, the men raised me on their shoulders and hailed me as captain. It is irregular, surely. But why should I not accept the promotion? 
In the days of Rome, from which our republic draws such inspiration, did not the men of the army choose their officers, even up to the rank of emperor itself? It may be an issue when we rejoin the main army, but I think, in times of crisis such as these, that they will be glad to ratify the promotion of a skilled officer. Something to consider, for certain. With love, your brother, Louis, the golden captain. Year two. Pluvios? Ventos? I still have heard nothing from you, though I give my letters to the rider every time he comes by. Could it be he is not a republic courier? His dress is so strange, and he has no face to speak of, but his voice is warm and buzzing. Give me your letters, he tells us, and we do. Now that I come to think of it, he has never said he will deliver them. I begin to suspect that he feeds upon them, that the information and affection we pour from our pens onto the torn-out pages of stolen Bibles gives him a form of nourishment. How else does he sustain himself, then, given that he has no mouth? It is against ordinances to eat the mail of good Republican soldiers. The next time this rider comes around, I shall make him present his credentials. Failing that, I will have him summarily shot. Again. Greetings, brother, from outside the walls of Chateau Malheur Infini. Since I last wrote two days ago, our route to the sea has been blocked by a strong enemy position, and though the men have despised me for it, I am now vindicated in my decision to have them carry our Gribbevol four-pounder cannon through all these dark, strange woods whose trees move and we do not look, over these bare hills crowned with standing stones that hiss for blood, and across these black rivers where the bodies of drowned women reach out for wrists and ankles and beckon us with lewd writhings. Though the castle does not fly the white banner of the Bourbon, it is assuredly hostile, for it sent its birds against us long before our initial arrival outside the walls. These birds larger than a man and with brass talons, initially pressed us severely, but we were rescued by some quick word with the grip of all. Make sure you take note of this, brother. If the Austrians attempt to use birds against you, canister shot makes for a most effective counter-strategy. The sky itself turned red. It was like a prophecy. After that, we encircled the castle and set up siege lines in accordance with standard doctrine. It is a pair of brothers who seem to own this castle for the royalists. Is green the color of the Comte d'Artois? Perhaps these men are in his service, then, for both are green and their skin is covered in translucent horn. Like most aristocrats, I think these men are fools with no understanding of military strategy. They have already sallied out several times with cavalry, attempting to break through an entrenched infantry position on the backs of their flayed horses. I am confident that we will soon be flying the tricolor above the walls of Chateau Malheur Infini and that with this fortified position under our control, we will be able to quickly reach the coast and re-establish lines of support with the main army. Until then, I remain your brother. Louis. I think. Year... Two? Brother! The pocket watch tells me it is now prairial, which is strange because one, it is broken, and two, because it is only supposed to tell minutes and hours. Not months. Nevertheless, greetings from Chateau Malheur Infini. Since I last wrote you, I did have the courier shot. I am convinced he was no Frenchman. Perhaps a Piedmontese spy. Damn this coalition that tries to stamp us out. Yes, when we cut open his belly, we found that it was quite dry, and all our letters contained inside. As I suspected. But since then, the Lord of Birds has come to us and sued for peace. I drove a hard bargain 
and exacted heavy territorial concessions, for his forces were quite unable to stand against us. Now the sky between here and mid-afternoon has been created as a constitutional sister republic to France, and the Lord of Birds has agreed to pay us some one million francs as a war indemnity. From this money I have drawn back pay for the soldiers, as well as given them a large bonus. I know the government frowns upon generals giving patronage to their troops, for fear of creating another Caesar, but the men have been too long without pay. All this is to say that the Lord of Birds, now styled Citizen Director of Birds, has agreed to deliver all our letters. And so, I hope, finally, to hear from you soon. With the Birds having joined our side of the war, Chateau Malheur Infini found its supply cut off and began to starve. Eventually, we allowed the castle to surrender, on generous terms, though the Green Brothers, in the absence of Madame la Guillotine, I ordered to be given the Republican baptism. When both of them turned out to float, I had them shot. Though our way to the sea is now open, the men and I are determined not to return home. We are now well supplied, and the pool of manpower provided by the capture of these lands has allowed us to draw new recruits. So what if these recruits have the heads of deer or dogs? So what if their feet face backwards, or they have faces where their genitals should be? Simply because they are not men, does it mean they cannot be Frenchmen? And if they have too many hands, does that prevent them from loading a musket? No, I say, and no again. There are new lands to conquer before we return home. For the new year, I am planning an offensive down along the coast, into the sunken lands, to reclaim them from the tyrannous, ancien regime of the sea. The sea will return these lands, or we shall drag them up at the point of a bayonet. When the sea itself is ours, we shall rejoin the army of the coasts of La Roche, and I will lead them across the seafloor to Britain itself. Yes, Britain, and yoke it with the chains of the great beast of the ocean's belly to be dragged across the oceans forever as punishment for its crimes against the revolution. In strength and honor, your brother, the architect of victory. Year One, The Calendar of Louis Brother, I hope my bird finds you well, though it is made of living bone and glass, and cannot fly. Before I can march, there are diplomatic considerations to be addressed. Though Chateau Malheur Infini is ours by right of conquest, people will rise up unless they consider themselves ruled by a legitimate government. The Green Brothers had a sister, whose name is Endless Hunger. She too is green, though of a pleasant disposition, and comely, provided you do not dislike her many teeth. I have made a proposal of marriage to Endless Hunger, and we are due to be wed. You'll be relieved to hear, not by a Catholic priest, by the end of Lucidor. By marrying her, I shall become the legal seigneur of Chateau Malheur Infini, and solidify the gains made by the arms and sacrifice of French soldiers. Yes, I shall become a seigneur. The very thing I once most hated. And yet, don't you see, brother? It is exactly because I hate power and privilege that I must take them on. Do not think that I have become counter-revolutionary. Indeed, I do all this in the name of the revolution. Yes, I now wear a robe of gold links and a garnet mask crowned with black feathers. But these trappings of power are but useful splendor a practical necessity for maintaining order over a population who demands such things from their leadership. Do not think that I enjoy the wealth, or the power, or the silver dishes that overflow themselves with steaming human blood. These are mere necessities to me, 
In my heart, I am still the same humble soldier who parted from you in the Cordelier district. If I had my choice, I would wear only the stained uniform of a Republican soldier and the Red Liberty cap. May the revolution live until time has lost all meaning. Yours truly, Louis I, Seigneur de Malfur Infini, First Consul of the Sky, Duke of the Sunken Lands, King, Caesar, Pope, and God Emperor, and most of all, your loving brother. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is that you listen to The Wrong Station. This week's episode, Brumaire, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at thewrongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Botello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>